I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As far as we can make out, this is the largest and has been for many years academic practitioner credit risk conference in the world. And the audience are very knowledgeable and very specialized. So if you give a talk here, you get really high quality feedback. And if you're a runner, Brendan, bring your running shoes because we have a run before the conference or during the conference around Arthur's seat. Uh, I might have to edit that one out. Otherwise, my wife's going <laughs> to take it with. But yes, okay, okay. Well, I'll join you. I started my degree on a path that led to chartered accountancy, pivoted towards structured finance a few years in, and then fell into the consumer credit industry. And almost everyone I speak to on this show has a similar story. Not because no one wanted to study credit, I'd venture, but because it feels rare to be given the chance to. But it is possible. The Credit Research Centre at the University of Edinburgh Business School was founded in 1997 to conduct research into the theory and practice of all aspects of credit, but especially consumer credit. In fact, if you'd like to bolster your own qualifications – you may be interested in their MSc in Banking Innovation and Risk Analytics, or even a PhD. But they also put on a genuinely world-famous, in certain niches, credit scoring and credit control conference. I've heard great things about this event, but have never quite been able to go. Until now. Because I'm delighted to say that I'll be there, with my microphones, from August 30th to September 1st this year. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. I know from my own experience in analytics that it's not good to use personal anecdotes to base a theory on, but you know, I fell into consumer credit by chance. And that seems to be the case for the vast majority of people, that They studied something else and they got into credit risk somewhat accidentally. So I would like to start with you, Professor Jonathan Cook, as the founding director of the CRC, the Credit Research Center. So I really started work on credit risk models in about 1989 when Lynn Thomas, who was then our professor of management science, and I gained an ESRC research grant. Several people became interested in credit scoring people like John Banasek, John Glenn, Jay Council. And we had close connections with banks and lenders. And so in 1997, I started the Credit Research Center. The aim of the center is basically to carry out research into theory and practice of trade, but especially consumer credit from all angles. We also train postgrads, mainly PhD students, but also MSc students. We organize conferences, seminars, workshops, short courses. We do consultancy, we host visiting researchers from all sectors. The overall aim is to have impact, in other words, to make society better, to ensure fairness in credit allocation and so on. It's always been completely independent of financial institutions and of regulators. And in 1997, uh, when the centre was created, we were the 
only UK concentration of researchers in the area. Now, of course, that's not true anymore. And then in 2006, we created the UK's Personal Finance Research Centre, and that spans Edinburgh, Southampton, and Imperial. So the research that we have done over the years has covered almost all areas of consumer risk modelling, stress testing, models for bank capital regulation, technical aspects of credit scoring. One of the first papers uh, using machine learning I published with colleagues from University of Virginia back in the early 1990s interpretability of machine learning, affordability, over-indebtedness. Many people have joined. Galena, for example, uh, Raffaella Calabresi, Fernando Moreira, and many others. So we've generally tried to train many people to feed them into the industry and help regulators. And two years ago, you handed over the reins of the CRC to Professor Galena and Driva. Galena, since we do have you here as well, your backgrounds also very deep in terms of credit risk with your PhD thesis being on it coming on 20 years ago now. So a lot of experience in the space. The role of the CRC today, where is it fitting in this uh, ecosystem of professionals in the credit risk space? Uh, Thank you, Brandon. My love affair with credit scoring actually started even before the PhD. Formerly, my PhD was in management, but the topic was on credit scoring developing the scoring model for several European countries. But my first encounter with uh, credit scoring was during my MSc in operational research and management science. I was fortunate to have a specific course on credit scoring taught by Aline Thomas at the time. I'm really proud uh, that now I'm teaching a similar course to a different MSc students. And now this degree is being rebranded as banking innovation and risk analytics. Then after my my MSc, I proceeded to do a PhD. And after PhD, I briefly worked in Bank of Scotland. This experience was hugely valuable. I still rely on some things uh, uh, that I learned there. And Credit Research Center was really instrumental in supporting all these ways of collaborating with the industry through student dissertations, invited guest lectures, consultancies, research projects, to build a community, a community of credit analysts or credit researchers, and to force the productive and mutually beneficial collaborations. The center, it is truly unique. I can't see of any equivalent ones, not only in the UK, we're well known in the UK, but also outside UK. There are lots of financial research centers, and now, of course, there's many fintech centers, but I don't think any of the centers really concentrate on this niche area uh, of credit risk and credit risk modeling. You mentioned the rebranding. I think it shows how credit risk strategy has changed from, you know, as a very sort of technical back-end function that very few people understood or knew about to a world where it is about banking innovation and risk analytics. So the credit scoring, the credit modeling, that practice, that that skill set has come right to the fore now where it is part of banking innovation. This is not just some technical person, you know, one out of 20,000 employees sitting in a back room. This really can shape a lending product, a lending offering to the market and be a big part of driving innovation. And I think that speaks to the dramatic change that's happened uh, in the time that the the center's been and the role 
that uh, yeah your your graduates and your 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 consulting and your research is playing it's now front and center and let me start bringing us towards that output and that research because the five of us are together now because the 18th meeting of the biennial credit scoring and credit control conference will be taking place in Edinburgh between Wednesday 30 August and Friday 1st September of this year and it's a rare opportunity, I'd say, to to bridge the academic practitioner divide. And I say rare because I think, you know, when you're working within a lending organization, the sort of conferences that capture the bulk of the, the budget are the flashy fintech ones talking about new product innovations, more blue sky sort of stuff. And the people that are sitting there practicing the current state of the art that are building models don't always get a chance to come together and to hear what's happening in best practice to to share with their colleagues and their peers, like how are we using artificial intelligence in scorecards? What are regulators saying? How do we react to that? So I'm delighted to have the full uh, organizing committee of that event here with me. We've already met Professor Jonathan Cook and, and Professor Galina Andriva, but we've also got Professor Christoph Muse, Professor of Data Science and Information Systems at the University of Southampton, and David Edelman of Caledonia Credit Consultancy. I'm going to move from the sort of academics to, to the practitioner side with you, David, previously a risk director for major Irish and Scottish banks and non-bank lenders, and then for the last two decades, a specialist credit risk consultant. The theme of the event is bridging this academic practitioner divide. How do you, as a practitioner, see this happening at the event? I was going to say, I'm not sure divide's the right word, but it's the one we've been using for a long time as a, as a strap line. But it, the conference is it's a forum for people to actually share ideas. If we go back to the very first conference, we actually had analytic people from uh, competing vendors actually having a serious debate with a chalkboard, you know, and chalk. They were actually rubbing each other's arguments out. So whether you call them practitioners because they were selling things or technical people, you know, they'd already bridged that themselves within the organization. If you want to get these two areas together, it has, has been more and more important over the years. A lot of this has been funded by research. Now, the research either comes from individual organizations, mostly by, you know, lenders and vendors, or it comes from uh, research councils who will also have representatives of the end users. There's no point in, in, in the research center going away and do a piece of research that no one's actually interested in, in finding out about. So, it has to be demand-led research to a great extent. If you come up through the banking route, you might think that all the universities do is contemplate their navels all the time, and, and that's no longer a viable model. But there are some, some differences, in what, which is why it's important to have a forum. I mean, from the very first conference, we, we made sure we were non-aligned. Okay, So we're not aligned to any particular supplier, any particular set of products. People can bring their own ideas, and that's very important because then you do get as close as possible to a free exchange of, of ideas. Of, of thoughts and people can learn in a, in a fairly benign environment. I mean, we had one one company who would send their recent graduate intake to us to the conference in the first week of work just to learn about the industry. It, it wasn't so much about learning the, some of the technical stuff, just learning how the industry works. The other thing that's certainly moved on a lot, of course, is things like publications. I mean, when I moved into credit scoring in 1986, I did a library search and I think I found either three or four published papers none of which really told me anything. One of them, I remember, was a very famous paper that said, basically, you ask them 10 questions and you count out how many yeses, you know, <laughs> which was probably still better than someone making a subjective decision because at least you could monitor whether you'd set the cutoff in the right place. This gap has certainly narrowed in many years. So we have a lot of 
let's call the big banks, who will have 100 plus people in their analytic department. Now, they're not all building models. Some of them do data quality, some are doing governance, but they've large departments. And in there, there will be some very technical people. And, and certainly in my experience, there'll be one or two people in that department who you don't let speak yeah. to anyone outside the department. But they're very, very bright and very, very good at their jobs. And you have other people who act as liaison. So in a sense, some of the organizations have, have bridged that gap themselves internally. David's absolutely right. I think I've mentioned the interaction, two-way interaction between the conference and academics. But there's also the availability of ideas. So the conference will have or over 100 papers presented. And many academics from Southampton, Edinburgh, and, and a few other places will be there. And you can talk to practitioners and talk about ideas and also about the problems that they actually face. And if there are regulators, you can talk about the problems that individuals have and the experience in terms of over-indebtedness and things like that. So there's genuine two-way interaction on in a very informal way. And a lot of research and many ideas from academia have gone back to industry through the conference. I just want to just finish on one, one other thing, which is the Basel Accords, <laughs> because there's two major impacts of Basel Accords. First of all, they made credit scoring and other areas in like data quality, data analytics, a requirement for consumer lending. And secondly, they made senior management in the lending organizations much more responsible and liable for what was going on in their departments. So they needed to be better informed and educated. This is no longer something that can be left uh, just in the background. In part, yeah, because the likes of Basel, to mean people do need to understand what's happening. That's important. And then, of course, you know, just the, the role that credit and data plays. I think an event that anybody who is in the space should definitely be, be looking at. Professor Muse, you're also studying credit scoring and applications of analytics in consumer lending. Just you've made, uh, I guess, the understandable decision to, to do it down on the sunny south coast. I think that credit scoring is probably one of the academic fields where theory and practice run particularly close. When we talk about marketing and human resources, things like that, it can be quite muddied about what's actually practical you know, in the real world versus theory. But when we're talking about the numbers, you know, to some extent, the numbers are the numbers. So I'd be quite interested to hear from you, you know, what are your particular areas of interest, but also what do you see as the cutting edge in the credit risk space? Thanks, Brendan. I've been living and working in Southampton for a long time now, actually. It was back in 2004 that I moved from my home country, Belgium, where I did my PhD at KU Leuven to the UK. It wasn't it's, just for the weather, although, yeah, yeah it's still England. It, it is a little bit better be than so it would be. But I, th I think the key reason, one of the key reasons is it gave me the chance to work with Lynn Thomas, had moved from Edinburgh to Southampton at that time, and he has always been at the forefront of credit scoring research, really. So that, that was a great opportunity for me. And also a good colleague and friend of mine, Bart Bassas, was working there as a part-time lecturer at the time as well. And he still is now. Maybe my key focus has really been on um, using machine learning or AI, if you'd rather call it that, and most recently deep learning. For example, it's almost 20 years ago now that we published a paper on how to generate explanations from a neural network, which was quite new at the time. It picked up a little bit since then. And when Basel II came along, which was really important for a lot of us because it increased the attention really on, on, the, on the whole area, I started looking at not just modeling the probability of the fault, but also loss given the fault, exposure at the fault, 
because it's not just important to understand that with Basel II anymore, whether you're likely to default on a loan, but also what the loss might be. So, so these are topics that I started looking at. And in some of my recent work, I've been working with our PhD students and Christian Bravo and others to apply deep learning techniques to various alternative data sources. So alternative data is another thing. For example, we've been investigating the predictiveness of things like tax data, such as that contained in loan officer reports, LIDAR elevation data that tells us a bit about the geographical area to remote sensing data and we're trying to infer things about a geographical location. Network data telling us how companies are linked with each other, for example, because they are supply chain partners or there are other relationships between them. That in turn means that credit risk might propagate over these networks and we can take that into account in the modeling. So yeah, in my work, AI and machine learning features heavily, but usually applied to a particular uh, analytics challenge. So the question then is, wherein lies the value of applying this or that cutting-edge technique in the setting? Can I extract something from a particular data source that traditional methods uh, don't give me? What's the performance lift I get? And how do I explain what I'm getting? So that, that's sort of a common theme in, in, in some of the research that I'm doing. I think it showcases how the theories that are being studied by the likes of yourselves are the ones that flow through to practice later on. If you look at when you were studying explainable AI versus when it became the main topic in, in the, in the business world, these are clear line between those, but also love the, the network type stuff. I think in the SME lending world, it's not a world I'd worked in before, but I touch on now with the podcast, but it has that added complication of networks. You can't just look at a, a business on its own because as you said, you know, it's, it's affected by its supply chain to understand contagion and, and links uh, in that space, I'm sure will be a huge tool for, for the growing number of uh, trade finance companies out of there. Galina, we've spoken about the conference as a sort of a, a link between professionals and academics, but it's obviously about more than that as well. I think Jonathan's also teased us a bit with 100 papers being delivered. So the scale of it is impressive and uh, wide ranging. What can people expect uh, if they want to uh, attend? A broader philosophy could be formulated as working together in order to achieve better decisions. And as Jonathan mentioned earlier, this decision should lead to fairer and more inclusive financial services and the world in general. I think the topics of the past conferences and the forthcoming talks really reflect this focus on the final objective. Yeah, of course, there are many purely technical talks about new machine learning methods and new sources of data. And of course, you can't build credit scoring models without technology and without data. But there will be also papers focusing on fairness, my direction of research, financial vulnerability, affordability, over-indebtedness, climate risk is becoming a huge topic recently. We have a fantastic lineup of keynote speakers. And again, we try to maintain a good mix between academics, regulators, and practitioners. So we have uh, four speakers coming from these three uh, sides. We have Katerina Souza, Head of Model Development and Review from Bank of England, Michaela Pagel from Columbia Business School in USA, and two practitioners, 
Joseph Breedon, CEO of Deep Future Analytics, and Scott Zoldi, Chief Analytics Officer from PyCom. The conference will be packed with social and networking events. It's not just presentations and talks. There will be the conference dinner, there will be coffee breaks, there, there will be uh, the possibility to network online and in person. And I would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsors who support all different parts of these uh, activities. Experian, the headline sponsor, Paragon, Foremost, Arctica, FICA, TransUnion. Without their general support, the conference wouldn't be such a rich and rewarding experience. Speaking of sponsors and partners, at home online at the enviable credit-scoring.co.uk is Paragon, a specialist credit risk management software provider to major banks and financial institutions across the UK, Europe, and South Africa. Now, Paragon are the gala dinner sponsor, but more than that, at that dinner, the Paragon Award will be presented to the best conference paper. So, Jalal Koyu, owner of Paragon Business Solutions, what is your history with the conference and why are you choosing to be involved again this year? Mark Sterling and I started Paragon in 1991 to demystify the knowledge process of building credit models, which were safeguarded by selected few in industry. We soon realized that there is a large knowledge gap the Edinburgh University Conference was the only forum at the time with the aim of bringing together the academic view, the practical view. Banks, lenders, academia, researchers, software and consultant makes it a good forum for valuable discussion and collaboration and learning. This closely aligned with our aim at Paragon. We therefore decided to sponsor this conference in 1993 and created the Paragon Award for the best paper in the conference in 2001 to a paper best presented in the conference, which demonstrated advances in credit scoring methodology and reported significant improvement and contribution to a real-life business problem. Yeah, so 30 years as a sponsor of the event, but that also means obviously 30 years being an attendee. So when you think about it with that hat on, what is it that you're looking to incorporate into your business? How do you find the, the things you learn valuable for your day to day? This year, we'll be introducing our model governance tool, Focus. Focus is all about making best practices easy and efficient to meet regulation and just as importantly, driving business value from organization portfolio and, and the models. There is an increasing volume of models that are produced by lenders and therefore the regulators are looking to tighten up the rules in the ways these models have been produced and applied. We In this conference, we will be presenting our models and listening to the others to see what they are doing within uh, this area. Plus, our flagship product modeler, we've been adding machine learning algorithms, model explainability, reporting and linking with Python. This is all wrapped in strong controls, governance, helps and satisfy internal validation and audit teams and external regulators. And last time it was sitting alone on our desk listening to the conference. This year we'll be meeting our old friends and the new friends in the conference and have a get together. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, in terms of what else the delegates can expect. Traditionally, we had two pre-conference workshops, one introduction to credit scoring for newcomers into the field, and the other one practical issues to settle on the theory, traditionally delivered by David. This year, we added a new workshop on machine learning. I would also like to mention uh, the special issue uh, of a good academic journal and also of operational research. This is linked to the conference. The academics and the practitioners uh, will be able to submit papers presented at the conference for this uh, special issue. And this is uh, very important for academics who are constantly under pressure to publish. Finally, I think I should mention and thank our program committee. This year, we introduced another committee. We called it Program Committee consisting of prominent academics from different countries and practitioners again. So by doing this, we are trying to expand into other countries to grow internationally. Yeah, and I think one one thing I'd draw attention to as well is that you've got an open application process in terms of speaking at the event. So many events, the sponsor might get some speaking slots other events, it might be open, but it's very few speaking slots available and, and you have to go sort of jump through all sorts of hoops. But this is actually an opportunity that if you've got an abstract, people can put it forward for consideration and get that chance to speak about it. So it's a great opportunity to learn, but it's also a great opportunity to be able to come out to a, a group of your peers and to explain the work that you've been doing. Yeah, Brendan, I, th- I think it's quite a, quite a strength. I mean, the first two or th- perhaps three conferences, there wasn't any parallel streams. And then as we get more and more p- people wanted to talk, then we started having parallel streams. So <laughs> we're now up to five. But what it does mean is whatever you want to talk about, if it's of reasonable quality, you might end up with only five people in the room. But there'll be five people who really want to hear your talk. you know, And you actually might get a lot of feedback from it rather than standing up in front of 100 people of whom 80% of them are actually quite not interested and they'll be on their phones or whatever. Yeah, this is a really important point, if I might say so, Brendan, that there are many conferences where people present on many different topics. So an OR conference, an operational research conference, for example, might have credit scoring papers two or three. But the thing about our conference is that it's very specific and the audience are very knowledgeable and very specialized. So if you give a talk here, you get really high quality feedback. So it's very useful for the people that actually come. Well, Jonathan, I'd like to stay with you actually for a minute, because I think that's a great point. And you've got the ball rolling on this whole event. You've been there since day one. And I think sometimes 
the the best way to to describe an event may be to sort of look back at some of its past highlights. So, what are some of the talks, some of the presentations that maybe stand out? Are there any that stick in your mind as, as great examples of of conference presentations? Yeah, there are actually. Earlier around two thousand two, Lynn Thomas gave a talk saying, "There's this Basel Accord which people didn't know much about. This thing's coming your way." And there's a load of research opportunities here. And my goodness, he was right. Because as Christoph said, we've all published many papers on these things like loss given default and exposure default and so on. And much of that was people were enthused when they heard Lynn talk. There are also other papers. A classic one is Bob Stein from Wharton, who talked about geographic differences in credit risk, which became hugely influential in people building contagion into credit risk models. There are a number of regulators that have given classic papers where they were basically talking to the industry. They were using it as a forum to say, look, guys, this is what you need to do. This is a really important problem. And that spawned a huge range of other pieces of work on survival models. In other words, not if someone defaults, but when. And Christoph has done some work on that. We've done some work on that. There are many other highlights that I can think of, but there's just a few. Yeah, and I think that... Um... You don't often get that chance to hear what the regulator's thinking until it's too late, you know, when they when they're upset with you. So you can hear it in their own words and you can meet them at the dinner and, and chat and, and understand what's happening. So more reason to really get together with your people, I suppose, and, and have a chance to to go deep into topics you don't often get that chance for. Looking forward now, there are a few topics have been mentioned, but maybe if I open it up to the entire panel here. Are there any kind of themes and topics that you're going to be bringing to the audience or that you've seen that people could be looking forward to for this year's event? From my perspective, I'm very interested in, in practitioners presenting work on how they've used deep learning or other advanced analytics techniques for, for their practical challenges. And because they tend to focus on making it work, how to backtest and validate these models, how to explain them, etc. So that that's definitely interesting. But as others have said as well, I'm really looking forward to see some more work on uh, modeling the impact of climate change and, and how to incorporate that in the credit risk models, because that's only going to get bigger and bigger as a theme. I'm, I'm interested in two data aspects. One is, is about if you're alternative source of the data. That's mainly so that we can actually help people like the unbanked. And one thing I gave Lynn back in 1987 was some data. The academic institutions didn't have the data. And that was one of the very first things I did. So I, I first met Lynn back in 1982. And by 87, I was in banking. He needed some data. I had lots and lots of data. So it wasn't a problem for me to give him two or 3,000 records. Depersonalized, obviously. But, you know, at least some real data. And that was, that, was, that, was, that was a lot of data in those days. It was on a floppy, you know. <laughs> and, of course, we've got now, we're now talking about synthetic data. So it'll be interesting to see, does that validly plug the gap? What is synthetic data? There's an issue with it lenders allowing data out of the institution they're okay. all extremely careful that they don't give away any personal data absolutely uh, rigid about this that makes it difficult for academics to work with this data so there's a research line some of which is going on in edinburgh where people are trying to build models which is not the real data but mimics the real data as closely as an algorithm can create it though i should say and david and Christoph and Galina alluded to this already, that lenders do allow very depersonalized data out for very specific reasons of research, 
where the data is held under extremely secure conditions within universities by researchers. Yeah, on the other hand, you've got the Lending Club data, which is about 2 million records. Yeah, there are various sources of that. There's the Freddie Mac data on mortgages, yeah. um, which many PhDs yeah. and many research papers have come from. But for some specific problems, you still need to link up with the financial institutions, yeah. co-design what problem you want to look at, and then agree on, on what data you might be able to exchange with each other, right? I think it's fair to say that all of us, Southampton and Edinburgh, would be delighted to receive anonymized data from lenders. <laughs> I know Christoph's worked with that. We've worked with that as well. The thing I'm really interested in, there's a series of papers looking at credit risk models and the economy. I mean, I've been working on this for some years now, but there's still very new ideas coming out. New regulations from the Bank of England, for example, are making this even more interesting. Another area that's coming up at the conference that's emerging and very interesting is that use of transactional data. This is extremely difficult to get hold of and is where much of the work on synthetics is actually coming out. Uh, it is also called as open banking, and uh, open banking is seen as one of the main tools of improving financial inclusion. I think what is also interesting there is that you only get that data for a subset of the customers. So I've seen there's going to be a couple of talks that look at if you've got different sources of data and you only have this source available for this guy, this source for this guy, how do you integrate all of that and how, how do you make that work? And I, for, for me, one of the areas, just from my background, that I'd be interested in learning more about is this area. How do you deal with these patchy data sources? But I think no matter what your niche in the space is, it's clear that there's going to be some topics worth studying, either because that's what you do or, or uh, listening in because you're interested there. But a lot more happening in credit risk these days than just how do you build a regression model. As far as we can make out, this is the largest and has been for many years credit risk conference, academic practitioner credit risk conference in the world. And we're still open for people to register for the conference. And if anybody would like to register, they can go to the Credit Research Center website and register there. Yeah, and I'll put that um, in the show notes as well. If people want to get a little bit discount, they should go to the conference website and uh, go through the process before 5th of June. They will be able to register afterwards, but uh, at a higher price. Perfect. So everyone, will, everyone listening will have a week at least to jump on that. And yeah, I think as we've seen, a number of topics to, to keep them interested, but also a rare opportunity just to meet lots of people working on similar projects. And yeah, it's a great city to, to come and visit. So all the reasons in the world to, to find a way up there to Edinburgh and to attend with the five of us. So thank you all for joining me today for the show and for putting this together. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person later in the year. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show, and I'll see you again next Thursday.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.